I'm John Pielli, and this is the Pass Ball Show. So glad to be with you. The number, if you're interested in being part of the program, is 732-364-3598. That's 732-364-3598. So obviously, if you're asking what grinds my gears lately in the world of baseball, it's the overusage of the bullpen. And I think it starts with what happened a couple of years ago. Terry Francona and the Cleveland Indians, they obviously had some success in the postseason. And the reason that they were able to get as far as they did in the postseason was because of the use of the bullpen. Andrew Miller being used for multiple innings. Um, you know, Cody Allen being used for multiple innings. Brian Shaw. So he essentially had three relief pitchers that were covering the game pretty much from the sixth inning on, sometimes being used even earlier. And obviously, it's a copycat league. So over the last couple seasons, a lot of teams have wanted to do something similar, have wanted to do something that is resembling it, to have themselves a hard-throwing left-hander that can go in there and throw 95 to 100 miles an hour and get batters out for two innings have a good setup man and a good closer. And a lot of teams were saying, hey, this is how we're going to do it. Obviously, you got this extreme usage of relief pitching in baseball right now, which is now you got games being started by relief pitchers. And you saw exactly what wasn't going to work or the way not to use your bullpen, the way the Oakland Athletics did against the New York Yankees in the American League wildcard game. I mean, there was, that was going to fail before it even started on so many fronts. And once again, you hear the reaction is, you know, blame Bob Melvin. And that's another silly philosophy or silly thought when it comes to baseball, because you can't blame a manager anymore. It's not the manager's fault that they're given decisions to make or they're having calls made for them. Bob Melvin had nothing to do with the choice to start Liam Hendricks. Of course, him being the, the loyal citizen, the manager that wants to keep his job, he doesn't want to get fired. He doesn't want to lose his job like Mike Socher or Buck Showalter or any other manager in Major League Baseball that's going to resist what the front office and the analytics staff is going to tell them what to do. So Bob Melvin's just doing what he was told. He starts Liam Hendricks, game gets out of hand. I think as soon as Aaron Judge hits that two-run home run, I know they kept it close. It was 2-0 into the fifth or sixth inning. And Lucharino did a good job, got a big double play in the second inning. So through four innings or through five innings, you think the Athletics may be able to hold it off. But there's going to come a reliever, and I've said this in baseball a hundred times, that you're going to go to a relief pitcher that just ain't going to have it. You can't expect every single relief pitcher when you're relying on a reliever to get through every single inning. Not everyone's going to have it. You saw it with the Yankees. Zach Britton gave up a two-run home run. These things are going to happen. So the importance, which I feel baseball has gotten away from, is to have a starter to going to a certain length. And it's unfortunate. You need a starter to go through five innings or go to six innings. And I, I just don't think it's, it, it makes any sense to continue to overuse your relief pitchers. And you've seen what's happened in baseball. You've got guys that are coming in there for two innings. Guys are coming in there for an inning. 
And as you get through a five-game series, or, you get, or you're lucky enough to get to the seven-game series, to get to a league championship series, or a World Series, you're going to rely on the same pitchers day in and day out to get key outs. Not just key outs, but probably to pitch, throw more pitches than they have at any point in a regular season. To throw so, to face more batters than they have over the course of the regular season. To face the same batters multiple times over the course of, the seri- of a series. Something they haven't done over the course of a season. And, you know, we talk about analytics, we talk about, you know, you know, intelligence, which a lot of these people have. A lot of people that are running numbers and are comparing numbers and analyzing stuff are very smart people. So if they are so smart, then how come the factor they're not factoring in the overuse of relief pitchers? Because I think the team that's going to have the best chance to win the World Series, the team that's going to res- uh, represent its respective league, and with a pennant is going to be the team that gets some length out of their starters, the team that decides that they're not going to put all their eggs in a basket when it comes to just using their relief pitchers. Now, you saw the Milwaukee Brewers do it the other day, yesterday. They had some success. Brandon Woodruff gave three solid innings. They turned it over to their bullpen, Burns and Knable and Hayter. I know Jeffries blew the save in the ninth inning, but once again, that backs up the point that I've been making for quite a while now. You can't expect every single one of these relievers to be on their A game. You can't expect every single one of these relievers to be lights out every single time you go to them. And the more relievers, when you're relying on three and four relievers in each game, there's a better chance that one of them is not going to have their best stuff. And if they don't have their best stuff, you're likely talking about a close game And it's going to be the difference between winning a game and losing a game. You look at what the Houston Astros did last year. What led them to winning a World Series championship. And the difference between what was a minuscule battle. You looked at the Dodgers and the Astros and they matched up very well. They played two of the greatest World Series games in Games 2 and Games 5 that were ever played. So what was the difference? It was the Dodgers choice to overuse their bullpen. Brandon Morrow pitching in all seven games. The relief pitchers coming in, game in and game out. Yes, they were lights out at the beginning, but as time goes by, they're depreciating because they're getting overworked. The advantage is going to the hitters. The advantage is going to the hitters because they get a chance to see the same pitcher time in and time out. And what separated the Houston Astros in the World Series last year was the Astros' willingness to to use their starters and get some length out of their starters. Justin Verlander pitched deep in the games. They had game seven where Lance McCullers and Charlie Morton combined for nine innings. And the Astros are set up to do that again this year. They have good starters, but they also have McCullers and Morton. If they decide that they're not going to use them as starters, they're going to use them as relievers. Dallas Keuchel might be used as a reliever. They got converted starters that are doing a great job in their bullpen and Colin McHugh and Brad Peacock. Other teams are just trying to use the same hard-throwing relievers every single game for an inning plus. And it may work for a game. The Yankees should be happy. They got past the Oakland Athletics because the Athletics were more obsessed about using relief pitchers than even the Yankees. The Yankees got to be careful, though. 
In a five-game series, I don't think you could overwork your bullpen. But in a seven-game series, you absolutely will. And when that seven-game series comes after a five-game series where you use your relief pitchers a little bit too much, you're going to set yourself up for disaster. And once again, the team that wins the World Series this year is the team that's going to be able to get some length out of their starters and not overuse their relievers. Now, I don't know if the Milwaukee Brewers are in good shape. They obviously have their three top starters. And if you want to talk about Chassin, you want to talk about Chase Anderson, you want to talk about Gio Gonzalez, pretty much set up to pitch games two, three, and four. I would hope that the Milwaukee Brewers would go to a more conventional approach when it comes to using their pitchers. At least throw a starter out there and get them through four. And maybe the game has changed enough that a four-inning start or a five-inning start is considered enough in the postseason now. But you're seeing teams that aren't even trying to do that. I give the Milwaukee Brewers credit. Brandon Woodruff threw three hitless innings. He did a great job. You, know, you ran the pen right into Burns, right into Knable, right into Hayter. And you know, I'm not surprised that you know Jeffress or anybody from that matter dropped the ball at some point because it's bound to happen. The same thing you could talk about the Oakland Athletics in a wild card game. You could run out Liam Hendricks and get a 1-2-3 inning. You could throw out Lou Trevino and get a 1-2-3 inning. You could go to Sean Kelly and get a 1-2-3 inning. You could go to Fernando Rodney and so on and so on and so forth. But at some point, one of the relievers just aren't going to have it. One of the relievers are going to have a hard time finding a strike zone. One of the relievers are going to hang a pitch. And when that happens, that turns a whole game around. And, and I understand, you know, you're, you're talking about a, a situation where a reliever could blow a game at any time. So it doesn't matter necessarily from this perspective how a reliever is used. But I'll tell you, the more dependent you are on somebody coming fresh into a game, you have a chance to get a fresh arm. And I understand that perspective, but you, every chance, every time you go to a different pitcher, there's a chance that he's not going to have it. And if you have a starter that's in there, first of all, comfortable with that role, comfortable with having the opportunity to go out there and start a game, knows what it's like pitching on the road or pitching at home with a crowd, knowing how to attack that first batter, knowing how to deal with a couple runners on base and pitching themselves out of it. Remember, a lot of relievers aren't given the opportunity to pitch themselves out of jams anymore. But as we get set for the postseason, I'm telling you, the team that we're going to crown World Series champion is going to be the team that decides that they're going to push their starters a little further. And I'm not talking about nine innings. I'm not talking about even seven innings. But the ones that are going to wait until they feel like their starter has given them enough. Not pulling them early, not using the same relievers every game over a five-game series and every game over the course of a seven-game series. So moving on. I did want to mention something that happened this weekend, and I, I feel bad because I didn't mention it on the show I did on Tuesday. And I was watching the end of the NASCAR race the other day, and you know, Jimmy Johnson and um, Martin Truex are battling down to the end. And obviously there's points implications in it when it comes to the final totals of where they finish in, a, in, in the season. And they're going neck and neck. And you can see both of these drivers are trying to do everything they can to get by each other. As they hit every curve, uh, they're taking chances. They're getting eerily close. And as they get set to cross that finish line in the final lap, there's contact made. 
Jimmy Johnson's car spins out, actually spins back on the track, hitting Martin Truex's car, and both drivers are kept from crossing the finish line before anybody else. Those are the two top drivers who are sitting there with the best chance of winning the race going neck and neck. And to have that happen in the last stretch so close to the finish line was something you don't see too often in racing. And you, you look at Ryan Blaney, who you could tell when he's being interviewed after he won the race, he had no idea what happened. He, he, he couldn't believe that they're talking about him, talking to him about winning a race. It's almost like a scene in the movie Talladega Nights. You know, you got Ricky Bobby and John Jagard, you know, going neck and neck, wrecking their cars to a point where they're completely out of the race. And then they end up having that foot race at the end. They get disqualified and Cal Non Jr. wins. And Cal Non Jr. says, you know, listen, if you, if you I'm going to kill you if you try to take this away from me. And, you know, Ryan Blaney is in that same spot. He ends up winning a race. And my, my question is, when he talk, talks about racing like this, obviously a win is a win. And if you think about sports, regardless of whether it's an individual sport or a team sport, in the end, or as time goes by, nobody really talks about how you won. Sometimes you talk about how somebody lost. Somebody that's a prohibitive favorite ends up losing in shocking fashion. You know, you look at the Super Bowl a couple of years ago with the Atlanta Falcons having, you know, that big lead at halftime and ended up blowing the game 28-3 and they end up losing. You talk about the Philadelphia Phillies of 1964, the New York Mets of 2007, the leads they had with just a week left to go in baseball and they end up blowing the lead and not making the playoffs. But when it comes down to it on the winning side, nobody talks about the you know, 1964 Cardinals and how lucky they were. They're looked at as the 1964 World Series champions. And Ryan Blaney is going to be considered as years go by, hey, he won this race. And the more time that's separated from the time that the race happened and the circumstances in which he won, the, the less it's going to matter how he won and the fact that he did want and win. And, you know, I look at Cal Mountain Jr. and Talladega Knights. Hey, he finally won his race. You know, he was bitching all all movie about how he was tired of finishing second. He was hoping that Ricky Bobby would let him win just one time, and it just never happened. So he ends up in a spot where there's weird circumstances because of the two top racers that are going neck and neck, ending up crashing into each other. He has a chance to win. He's finally a winner. Ryan Blaney, at least last weekend, was Cal Naughton Jr., if anybody's interested, the number is 732-364-3598. You can be part of the show. This is the Passball Show, brought to you by JohnPielli.com. I do thank Golding Mate, number one, saying, uh, sorry, sir, talking to no one. I can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. It's great. I hope it's a million people. I hope over the massive and different types of ways that people can get the show, just a reminder, Facebook Live, Periscope, SoundCloud. Um, the Passball Show is available to be downloaded on iTunes and Google Play. Um, YouTube. So you can just search my name. There's many different ways to listen and view the show. You're an idiot. You're a, you, uh, you're a bad person. Like all the way through to your core. But the next thing I wanted to get into is the NFL picks. And 
you know, you want to talk about one of the things that are the most frustrating and the thing that probably bothers me the most about the way this season has gone out has been the loss of money that I've had over the series of my picks this year. Now, over four weeks, we've got uh, four weeks of games. I pick five games each week. We're sitting there right now with a 7-12 and one record. And I was actually joking when it came to the show that I did on Tuesday. Maybe it's time to go against what I feel my intuitions are. And maybe that's the best way to do it. Maybe I should pick five games and then wager on the opposite. And maybe I'll have a chance at a better record. Because I do think you know the games in the National Football League are fickle. But most importantly, the point spreads on each one of these individual games make it so hard to wager on. But you know if you talk about the state of New Jersey... The fact that the right or the ability to gamble is right there in front of your face. And you don't need large sums of money to be able to do it. You don't need to deal with a bookie like I did over the last series of years. Now, the bookie I was dealing with happened to be a really nice guy. You know, but at the same time, you know, I'd rather be doing something that's legal and easy to do. If you... You know, for anybody that has dealt with a bookie that's a little tough on you and wants to make sure, hey, if you're if you're losing money or if you owe them money, you better pay them right away. You know, listen, you go online as we hit the halfway point here on the past ball show. Once again, it's brought to you by JohnPielli.com as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Comment on the Facebook feed or Periscope feed, um, 732-364-3598 if you're interested in calling into the show. But enough bitching about losing money when it comes to gambling. Speaking of losing money when it comes to gambling, here are the picks of this week. Pielli's picks for week number five in the National Football League. Okay, well maybe we should tell that to Raymond because he practically bankrupt a casino if he was a retard. First game I'm going to hit up this week is a game that the line I think is pretty close. I think they're still, regardless of his play status, some concerns about Aaron Rodgers, and I, I do think he is not 100%. That's going to potentially hurt the Green Bay Packers as they're going forward. You need Aaron Rodgers, if you're going to win a Super Bowl, to be at his absolute best. Anytime there's a division game, whether it's the NFC North, whether it's the AFC North, whether it's the NFC East, you know, there's a little more... Of, of a little fervor and gusto where these players play hard because they want to beat their rivals. And they know that these are the teams that they're going to need to get past if they want to get to the promised land. These are the teams that they're going to have to get past if they're looking to overtake them and win the division. If they want to get to the postseason, you got to beat your own division rivals. And it's very prevalent in the sport of football. So I look at Green Bay and Detroit, and I think Detroit's shown some moments. Their embarrassment in week number one against the New York Jets, I think, is long beside them. Any issues or worries that people may have over Matt Patricia as their head coach, at least temporarily, are put on the back burner because they've they've had some very good performances. They had a big win a couple weeks ago against New England. So, you know, I, I do think it's a chance for the, the Lions to take a big step and beat a Green Bay Packer team. The line dictates that. And good morning, Pat. Hope everything's going well with you. You know, the Packers, 
on the road are probably a little bit of a different team than they are at home. The advantage that they have with Lambeau Field, the performance they have with their defense last week stands out to me. And I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's the fact that they were playing such a bad team in Buffalo, or it was a kind of a little emergence. Sometimes you got cohesive units that happen on defense that end up coming together, and they end up becoming better defenses than these quote-unquote experts will think. So. Am I believing in a Packers defense? Not as much, especially if Clay Matthews is the marked man that he seemed to be in the National Football League over the last series of weeks. So I do think there's a little bit of a fear that Clay Matthews is getting a hit for a flag every single time he tackles a quarterback. But the Packers are coming off of a good win against a bad team. I'm going to take that one point at the handicap that the Green Bay Packers have. So I'm going with Green Bay on the road, minus one at Detroit. So game number two is another interesting one for me because I think of battles that we've seen between the AFC East and the AFC North this year. And I think, it, you know, you think of Cincinnati, you think of Baltimore, you think of New England, but you also got to think of Miami. Now, Miami's sitting here at three and one right now. Of course, the Patriots won on Thursday, so they're going to keep the pressure. If the Dolphins want to maintain a first-place lead, I know it's early on in the season to talk about who's in first and who's not, but the the Dolphins would like to get that fourth win in fifth game and five games. They're at Cincinnati, and Cincinnati is a very fickle team because when they look very good, when they're playing their best football, they look like a playoff team. They look like a team that could probably cause some damage both offensively and defensively you know, throughout the course of the season and even in the postseason, even though they haven't won a postseason game in about a billion years. So Cincinnati at home, I'm thinking about Miami and their performance last week against New England. It was really the first time all season they didn't seem to belong on the same field as their opposition. They they played the Jets. They played Tennessee. They won a couple games, perhaps, that the experts would have not expected them to win, but they went out there and they won it, and they were three and zero facing the Patriots in Foxborough. It didn't work out, obviously. So they had their first loss at some point that was going to happen. They're not the '72 Dolphins, the only uh, team to go undefeated and win a Super Bowl. Of course, the New England Patriots a couple years back went 16 and zero, but lost in the Super Bowl. So I'm thinking Miami's going to have a bounce back. I think their defense is very underrated. I'm not believing in the Dolphins as far as being a legitimate playoff team or a team that's going to advance very far if they do get to the playoffs. But I think this is a game that they should be able to win. At Cincinnati, coming off of their first gut punch of the season, I think they got a, a very good chance. So, you know, they're getting six points. So it helps me, the person betting, knowing that there's a little bit of a point spread involved. So I'm, I'm putting my money on Miami plus six at Cincinnati. Next game, let me be real quick with it, Arizona-San Francisco. One of the things that has frustrated me, some of the games that I've been picking, I'm trying to stay away from those same teams, whether they're helping me or hurting me. It doesn't matter. I'm going to pick some different games, and Arizona-San Francisco really doesn't seem like an appealing game at all. The only thing appealing about it is Josh Rosen as the starting quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals. And I think him getting his second start under his belt, Playing a San Francisco team that is probably already conceded this season, knowing that Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to be playing for them. C.J. Beathard is going to give his best effort, but I'll tell you, it's going to be tough 
to expect him to engineer drive after drive. And the one thing that has sucked about the San Francisco 49ers is their weapons are considered good, but none of them are game-breaking type of players that can completely do it on their own. Marquise Goodwin needs somebody to get him the ball, somebody to lead him the ball, somebody somebody to help make the plays for him. You know, you look at their, their running back situation. They got guys that need help from the offensive line. They need a mixture of run and pass to be able to succeed. So I'm looking at the 49ers, and I feel bad that they lost Jimmy Garoppolo because I think it would have been a great to see what this team could do with Garoppolo as their quarterback all season. So I'm looking at Arizona, and I'm thinking this is going to be a big week for Josh Rosen. I think he's going to throw for a series of yards. He's going to be able to engineer some drives. And unlike the San Francisco 49ers, he's got weapons. He's got David Johnson. He's got Larry Fitzgerald. He's got a group of players that can make plays on their own and could perhaps help a young quarterback that's trying to you know, unify an offense. And I think this could be a coming out party for the Arizona Cardinals this week. And I'm getting four points. So I got Arizona plus four at San Francisco. The last Sunday game I'm going to pick is Baltimore and Cleveland. And I tell you, if you've watched the Cleveland Browns this year, and I know you look at their record and they sit here and they're one, two, and one, and it, it looks like the same old Browns. You know, they're finding ways to lose. It, looking like a team that's not in a position to win consistently. Well, they had a game that they tied that they should have won. They had a game last week against Oakland that you could dispute that maybe the officials cost the Cleveland Browns the game. They are at home this week. They are playing a Baltimore Ravens team that has a good defense, but at some point and a couple times this year, they've been exposed. And you look at their quarterback, Baker Mayfield, played pretty well last week, had something like nine drops. If it wasn't for that, I think the Browns win the game. If it wasn't for the officiating, I think the Browns win the game. So you're looking at the Cleveland Browns who have legitimately been in every single game that they've played this year, have a chance to play at home, and are playing a division rival. And to keep with the theme of the energy being built up for a division rival, the Cleveland Browns have been told for years that they don't belong in the same division as the Baltimore Ravens and the Cincinnati Bengals and the Pittsburgh Steelers. They... You saw the energy that they came out with when they played the Pittsburgh Steelers in week one. They could have very easily won that game. I think they're going to win. And actually, if the spread was the other way, I would still take the Cleveland Browns. They're getting three points at home against Baltimore. To me, this is a pick that I believe in the most. Out of all my picks I made this week, Cleveland plus three at home against Baltimore. Next game I'm going to pick is a Monday night game. And I haven't picked a Monday night game this year. So hopefully, you know, when things are going to shit in regards to your picks or anything that you're doing, you want to make some changes. And I'm making some changes by picking a Monday night game when I haven't done it all year. Washington plus six and a half at New Orleans. And I'll tell you, if, you, if you're going to play the over, I think that would be a very good pick. And I haven't taken any over-unders yet. Maybe we'll start to get into that over the course of the next couple weeks. New Orleans is getting six and a half at home. Their defense has not been good. Uh, I think offensively, Drew Brees and, you know, you look at Kamara and Michael Thomas, they've been able to make plays. But I'm looking at Washington, and every single time the Washington Redskins get disregarded or forgotten about, they end up c coming through. 
And every time you look at them and you say, hey, the NFC East is going to be Dallas and the Giants and the Eagles. Washington Redskins come out of nowhere and start winning some games. I think this is going to be a big performance that we're going to see in Washington. Alex Smith, the ability to not make mistakes. And Drew Brees, he probably won't make mistakes either. But the fact that New Orleans defense can be gunned on, and if this becomes a shootout, I don't know how much it works in the favor of the New Orleans Saints. And I don't care if they're home or not. So give me Washington plus six and a half at New Orleans. Recap of the picks this week. They'll be up on JohnPielli.com as soon as the show's over. You got Green Bay minus one at Detroit. Miami plus six at Cincinnati. Arizona plus four at San Francisco. You got Cleveland plus three at home against Baltimore, the only home team that I'm picking this week. And you got Washington plus six and a half at New Orleans. So we'll see if you know where we end up. Um, kind of used a little bit of an alternative thought process when it came to it this week. So I'm hoping that my difference in thinking might produce some better results. A little recap of the show today. Um, the relievers in baseball. I know it's the end thing. And I know the analytics keep saying, hey, go to a reliever, a guy throwing 95 to 100 miles an hour, fresh, coming right into the game. Listen, it, it might work for a while. It might get some teams past the division series. It might get a couple teams past the league championship series. But the more you overuse your bullpen, the more they're going to depreciate. And the more you use relievers, the better or the, the advantage is going to continue to turn towards the hitter because they're getting a fresh look at a guy multiple times over the course of the season. Something that doesn't happen in a regular season. And by the way, when you're talking about these relievers that have these inflated numbers, these, you know, ridiculous amount of, you know, 15, 18 strikeouts per nine innings pitch, the ERA is way below one. One of the reasons are because they're facing different hitters every single time they face their opposition. They may get into a series, two out of three series, but they're pro uh, two out of three games. But they may be lucky enough to face a different series of batters each time. And then it's on to the next team where they're facing players that they have not faced before. So when you're in a five-game series or a seven-game series, you have the same hitters that you're going to face game after game. And every time you do that, the advantage goes to the hitters. And for all these people that study these stats and are so analytically driven, how come this hasn't been brought up before? Because I am good at three things. Fighting, screwing, and talking baseball. You got Ryan Blaney winning an NASCAR race last week because Jimmy Johnson and Martin Truex crashed into each other. Kind of reminds me of Cal Norton Jr. winning in Talladega Nights with Ricky Bobby and Jean Gigard. Uh, crashing into each other and then having their race by foot towards the finish line and then being disqualified, and Cal Norton Jr. finally won. Finally, my NFL picks, they'll be up on JohnPLA.com, so wait for that. So I hope everybody has a nice weekend. Maybe we'll be with you tomorrow. I don't know. We'll see how I feel. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Hope everybody enjoys the football weekend. You obviously got the NHL season, which has just started. Baseball playoffs, the whole thing. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.
Cepeda runs to field the ball. So does Hiller. So does Miller. Miller hollers. Hiller. Hiller hollers. Miller. Haller hollers. Hiller points to Miller with his fist. And that's the Miller. Hiller. Haller. Hallelujah. Twist.